into our text. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy in our lives. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to um, to look at your word and to seek to understand it and how it instructs us and teaches us in um, how we live for you in this world. We pray that as we look at this passage that you would encourage our hearts with the greatness of our God. We pray that we would be um, reminded of our own sinfulness and that as we see our sinfulness in comparison to your holiness and your greatness and your awe and your power that it would drive us to our knees in realizing that we are unworthy and the only way that we can uh, effectively serve you is through our relationship with you and through what you have accomplished for us on the cross. We thank you for that. We pray that we would be willing to faithfully serve. In your name we pray. Amen. <coughs> All right. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. If you would take your Bibles, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. We'll read through the text, and then we will work our way through the the narrative. Or, um, yeah, it's, it's narrative. All right. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they say with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed man far away. And the forsaken <coughs> places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down so the holy seed shall be its stump father we do thank you for this text we pray that you would help us to understand it and more importantly we pray that we would seek to live it in your name we pray amen i think the theme or the big idea of the text is that the greatness of the king demands faithful service the greatness of the king demands faithful service. And so the text begins right away and all of a sudden we're confronted with the death of a monarch. Now that's kind of drastic. 
uh, we think about the power that is conveyed in our presidency and our presidency is um, in ways more powerful than a lot of monarchs because America is an immensely powerful nation but in ways the presidency is far less powerful than if our presidents were elected monarch that lasted for an entire lifetime I mean think how much things could change one way or the other um, if somebody could stay in for their entire life that'd be a very very powerful individual um, and so uh, Isaiah is faced with the death of his monarch and just think of the vacuum that that probably felt like that void in leadership and all of a sudden he's confronted with you know the person that I've always thought was leader is no longer there and as he's thinking through these ideas what happens to Isaiah other than that he is taken up into the temple or to the courtroom of God and he is placed before the true king the Lord of hosts and he sees his greatness, he sees his sovereignty, he sees his power, he sees his holiness and his splendor, and he is confronted with this face to face. And that is what is being described in the opening verses of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He is enthroned, he's powerful, he's high, he's lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. There is this kingly clothing that is on him. It is portraying him as supremely great. Somebody that is worthy of your worship, worthy of your admiration and your attention and your entire being. That is what is being portrayed. And he moves on in verse 2 and he says, Not only is the king himself great, but the seraphim are there too. And they are sitting there, they're above him, and they have six wings, and they're covering their face so they're not looking on his glory immediately. They have two wings that they're covering their feet. It could be that this is a reference to something that's polite. It could be something that's... You know, the modesty aspect, we're not exactly sure what there's going on there. But it has to do with the response to the greatness that they are seeing. And they are also flying. They're not, they're not touching the floor. They are flying above the throne. And as this glorious scene takes place, the seraphim are saying to one another over and over again, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of of his glory. The seraphim then are focusing on God's character, who God is. And as they focus on who God is, and they tell us this is God, God is holy. And he is glorious. That is what is being portrayed. That he is holy and that he is glorious. That means that he is completely without sin. That means that he is righteous in all his acts. There is not one of his acts that people might look at and go, that's a little shady, that's, that's a little questionable. I'm not sure he should have taken that step. He is completely holy. He is glorious. And I think that the author Isaiah is really trying to help us to see God is 
holy and he is awe-inspiringly powerful. And Isaiah realizes this as he is in God's courtroom, much like John realized it in Revelation. And as he realizes it, he realizes, I have a serious problem. And the problem becomes even more clear than he's going to state it in verse 5. In verse 4, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. It's, it's very much reminiscent of the scene at Mount Sinai where Moses went up to the top of the mountain and God displayed his glory for the nation of Israel to see. And I think that the author Isaiah and what he's seen and what he's trying to portray to us is trying to help us to step back and say, Wow, God is holy. God is glorious. God is good. And so he does that. And as he meditates on this fact, this is where verse 5 comes in. And verse 5 tells us that as Isaiah looks on the holiness of God, the sovereignty and the power of God, he looks on and he says, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah looks at the situation, and his response is just desperation. He's like, I am undone. I am a dead man. I being somebody who has unclean lips. Look at the time that I, I, I used my language to backbite. Look at the time that I, I used my language to hurt somebody else in a conversation. Look at the times that I lied about various situations. Look at the times where I failed to speak up boldly and proclaim truth. He says, my lips are unclean. They have failed. And the nation that I live in is full of it too. It's not like it's just me it's everybody I'm around is contaminated with this sinfulness. And yet here I am before the throne room of God, and my eyes have seen God, the Lord of hosts. I am undone. I deserve death because such wretchedness should not be able to look on the holiness and the goodness and power of God and walk away unscathed. That is what he is communicating here. And so he says, I've, I, I am in a desperate position. My, my position is completely hopeless. But what has Isaiah forgotten? What has Isaiah forgotten? He's forgotten the character of God. So God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God is powerful. But God is also a God who is merciful and just and able to pardon and atone for sin. And that is what we see the text move into next. The king looks, or Isaiah looks at the king and he sees that he is lifted up, that he is holy. His response is desperation. And God's response to his desperation is to pardon him. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. 
What's he communicating? He's communicating that the holiness of God, the burn so ferociously with holiness and splendor and power, is what is able to cleanse Isaiah. Not because of who Isaiah is, but because of God's great mercy, he is able to be cleansed. The same thing is true for you and I. As we look at the righteousness and the holiness and the power of God, we should be undone. We should be moved by his character. As we look at him and we see just how much we fail to measure up to who he is. We should also remember that Christ did not leave us there. It was not in God's eternal plan to leave us in this place where we are completely hopeless. Instead, God the Father chose to send his Son into the world to come and to die for your sins and my sins. Why? So that if I place my faith in him, I can stand before him justified. I can stand before him having been forgiven and declared righteous. And so it's a very similar thing that you and I can experience. And so this desperation that Isaiah experiences is taken away. Why? Because God is great in mercy and because he removes his guilt. And now Isaiah is able to boldly desire to serve God. Why? Because he has seen God's holiness. He's seen God's power. But he's also seen God's mercy and grace in his own life. And so God brings a question before him in verse 9. Or, or, or verse 8, sorry. And, and I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And so the question is asked, Who's going who's gonna to serve me? And instead of desperate Isaiah running and hiding under his bed you have Isaiah in the same scene where he is just desperate and a broken man he goes from that position to boldly stepping up to the throne and saying I will go send me make me your messenger I want to serve you why because he's seen who his God is and he hasn't simply seen it it's affected his life. It's changed who he is. And so he boldly steps forward and he says, I'm going to serve even though a couple minutes ago I was on the brink. And then God begins to explain to him what this task is going to look like. In verse 9 he begins. He says, go and tell this people. What's he going to tell them? Well, if, if you were going to send a missionary, what would you tell them to send them and tell them? Okay. Got your picture of what you would tell your, your people if you're going to go, you know, be a preacher or be a missionary? Well, this is the message that Isaiah is given to send to his own people, the nation of Israel. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of the people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. 
God tells him go and teach and instruct and warn and rebuke but guess what it's over those people that you're gonna preach to I'm done with why because they've repeatedly rejected me time and time again so I will not listen then I said Lord how long that's that's a discouraging message and uh, Isaiah's like well how long am I really signing up for this and he goes on to make it clear that this is until everybody knows that they've been rejected everybody who's chosen not to pursue faithfulness to God will know that they have been rejected until the cities are laid waste without inhabitant how does that happen well either people get moved out of the city or they get killed in the city that's how cities come without inhabitants the houses are without a man the land is utterly desolate so it's not like they're even moving to the country and becoming all farmers and living the you know country life that's not what's being pictured here either so they're either being moved out of the land or they're being killed in the land land has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land but yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down whoa I'm not sure I'm super excited about this message right but as the Lord records the message he ends and there is this message, this glimmer of hope. So the holy seed shall be its stump. What is he pointing to? He's pointing to the Messiah. And he says that your time is not going to be a fruitful ministry, Isaiah. Don't get me wrong. You're not going to see many converts. You're not going to grow many churches from, you know, a couple hundred to thousands or from ten to a thousand or you're not going to see these great accomplishments. I have called you to faithfulness. I have called you to service. And you're responsible to do that. But, there is coming a day when all that has been ruined and cut down will once again spring forth and there will be real, genuine life. Why? Because the Messiah is coming. And so what does Isaiah chapter 6 tell you and I? How should you and I respond to the message of Isaiah chapter 6? I think God wants us to focus our attention on the greatness of our God. That's really where Isaiah begins, and I think that's where you and I must begin if we want to be true, faithful servants of the Lord Most High. If you want to be a faithful servant, you need to focus your attention on the greatness of God. And I think that's where Isaiah starts, and that's where you and I must start. Isaiah begins, and as he looks at God, he sees that God is enthroned, that God is sovereign, that God is number one. That this is demonstrated by his height, it's demonstrated by the clothing, it's demonstrated by the seraphim who surround him, it's demonstrated by the message that he is holy, that is demonstrated by the by the picture of Mount Sinai. 
And as we focus our attention on God, it allows us then to truly see who we are. And so the next thing that you and I must do is to see who we are. And as we see our own sinfulness, then we take it to God and we confess it. And we seek His forgiveness so that we can faithfully serve. And as we receive that forgiveness and we, we clearly see ourselves in relationship to who God is, that should cause rejoicing and a desire to serve faithfully. Which is where the text then goes to. Isaiah boldly steps forward and says, I'll be the messenger. Just to find out the message and the reception of the message are going to be less than desirable. And that is what you and I are responsible to do. We are responsible to serve faithfully where the Lord puts us. And so we focus our attention on the greatness of God. We rejoice in God's forgiveness. And we serve the Lord faithfully. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you are powerful, that you are holy, that you are righteous, that you are good. We pray that as we contemplate who you are, that we would see areas in our life where we fail to measure up, and that we would be gnawed by your greatness and your goodness. We pray that as we are enamored by your glory, that it would lead us to a place where we desire to faithfully serve you, even though the service may be difficult. We thank you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, I will give you a few minutes to sign off so you don't see anything unsavory on the next watched our recommended video but otherwise have a good evening should provide you with enough time to have signed off so have a good evening